Welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and if you hear a creaky creak, it's because I am in the back of my house uh, sitting in an office chair I don't usually record in because I wanted to finish the podcast and I just got home from my work event at Walt Disney Imagineering. More on that in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned. But the only reason I'm telling you now and it's noteworthy for this episode is because I have to yell about the fact that I just hugged Figment on California soil. <laughs> I saw him. So I went to this event. There was an outdoor kind of like cocktail hour snacky situation before we did some actual work stuff. And I walked in. I like said hi to some people. I went to the bar to get uh, to get a water. <laughs> Very exciting. I don't know why I paused there. I just didn't want <laughs> to admit that I was just getting boring old room temp water, not even the ice water that was served. But I got my little water, I go to turn, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a person who's a, maybe not a person, because it's Figment, because it's freaking Figment. Figment is at this mixer, just hanging out at this mixer, Figment. And so I, I turned and just just couldn't believe my eyes. Like my whole body shoved that way. I almost spilled water all over someone who I'm pretty sure is a very important person at WDI. I'm very sorry again. I just couldn't handle it. I rolled up so excited. I got three Figment. What a joy. What a joy. I haven't met Figment yet because I haven't uh, I haven't been able to do that meet and greet during my very quick trip to the parks. I haven't been back for longer. So exciting. So exciting. And almost as exciting as seeing Figment is that I ran into former podcast guest Daniel Zhu, who is basically the king of Tokyo parks, which we are talking about today because, as you know, I went on a secret little trip to Tokyo. I spent three days in the city visiting a close friend who's been working overseas there and two and a bit, like 2.25 days at Disney's theme parks. My friend who I visited has been living there since 2021. And if you remember, you couldn't get in for a long time until well into 2022. And she found out she's going to be moving home soon. So this was essentially my last window to visit her, to see her life in Tokyo, to see where she goes, what she's been doing, and also to visit the parks. So I took it. I ran with it. It was amazing. It was so, so nice to be there. For this episode, I know we've talked about the concept of Iyashi and how the Japanese culture, by way of its guests, makes for such a noteworthy and different yet similar experience within these parks. I will paste a link to that Duffy-centric episode in our show notes, so you can go back and listen if you'd like to, because it's very relevant. But this time, we're talking about what is actually happening in the parks. You know what? I will also link to our Toy Story Hotel episode with Chris Nilgay. That is also a great one, and I don't want to forget it. One other thing on a more serious note. I was already out of town last week when we ran our churros episode, so I definitely need to provide an apology that it went up without any mention of what was happening in Israel at the time. I know listeners of Very Amusing here range all ages, including young kids, so I will be very brief and vague in what I'm about to say. But this podcast is a space that I hope hopefully provides a break from the heavier issues of the world, even at times when they have been intertwined with what's happening on this podcast. So I just want to say first, again, I am so sorry. This went up without any mention of what was going on. The episode was recorded prior to my travels and it just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't able to edit anything at that moment in time. But even in doing this episode, everything happening overseas is weighing on my mind. It is separate from the joy I feel for all Disney experiences. It is not very easy to do this week's episode, but it's my job too. And I love my job and I don't anticipate feeling much better about all of this in a week anyway. So I'm pushing forward with the podcast. I would just be remiss if I didn't address it from last week and mention that I hope safety and peace can be reached very, very soon. So with that, let's get into a word from our sponsors, and then let's travel to Tokyo together here on Very Amusing. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. to my little trip report from last week's visit to Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. I'll obviously be outlining need-to-know information in this episode, like how Tokyo Disney Resort has two parks, the two that I just mentioned, and Tokyo Disneyland is kind of like Magic Kingdom in Florida, but somehow seemingly bigger with similar yet very different ride experiences, while Tokyo Disney Sea is this one-of-a-kind gem that doesn't exist anywhere else and I strongly believe is the very greatest theme park in the entire world. But this This is a recap episode, not a planning guide. We will do an actual planning guide that will come later with full recommendations and resources and, you know, airport details, currency, subways, JR line, all that type of stuff. But this is more of a little fun trip report. Kind of like we're out at lunch and you asked me how Tokyo Disney was and I gave you every crumb of detail without coming up for air, except uh, for when we naturally break for an ad. So, If you have any follow-up questions, needs, desires, etc., call into the Churros hotline, 747-CHURROS, let me know, and I will tackle them for when I make my actual guide in the future. But we are going to get into it! The rides, the snacks, the paid FastPass system, the Duffy hugs, the one-of-a-kind rides and flavored popcorn, and everything else. This was my third visit to Tokyo Disney Resort. I went for the first time in 2015 while on my honeymoon, when I first began this line of work, and had my brain utterly blown by Tokyo Disney Sea. And again in 2019 on an unbelievably well-timed international jaunt to just li- listen to this itinerary. I went to Tokyo and Tokyo Disney Parks, Osaka and Universal Studios Osaka, Shanghai and Shanghai Disney Resort, and Singapore. I do not know to this day how I got my husband to agree to spend our holiday dragging luggage across Asia for two full weeks, because you know your girl doesn't get travel with a carry-on. It is so unlike him. I don't know how he did this, but boy, did we get that trip in under the wire, because it was essentially days before the pandemic began. And these days, I don't even have the energy level to the point where I could imagine doing that much, let alone in cold winter weather. For this trip, my third visit... Well, I'll be honest with you, my dear amusies, if I may. I planned absolutely nothing. (laughs) Like, embarrassingly nothing. I booked my hotel weeks before. I was given my park tickets from a friend. I, I didn't even schedule a single meal in the parks. And no, I am not bad at my job. Do not worry. You are not listening to the wrong podcast. It's just that on my last trip, I scheduled everything. It was the complete opposite. For that visit, I had booked a vacation package with Tokyo Disney Resort, which meant I was staying at a Disney hotel using their early entry benefit, getting these bonus little fast passes. And because we spent so much money on that vacation, like we really went for it. I was a ma'am with a plan. 
I even booked multiple seated show dinners because there was availability and I snatched it because it was there and I had to do it. If it was there, I, I, got, I got the timing. I was in. I had to do it. I really, really went a wild. The two that are standing out, one was kind of their version of hoop doo musical review. And the other was a luau inside the park within Adventureland, which was beyond. I really should do an episode just on those meals because there's so much to say. But I wanted to keep things extremely flexible this go around. I wanted to have the opposite vibe. I didn't really want to back myself into a schedule I'd feel pressured to stick to. And honestly, I'll tell you, I was curious if my Disney World knowledge would transfer over to playing it by ear. And lo and behold, it did. Uh, Congrats to you and me, because our skills from visiting these happy yet difficult places has given us more applicable international knowledge than you'd think. For the most part, I played this the right way, navigating the parks through a to-do list that I made and adjusted based on FastPass-style ride return times. Y'all know how that lifestyle is. But sometimes, sometimes you just learn things the hard way. Like, There's only cash taken for the monorail, which costs money here. You can't use a card and you have no coins because you've really been letting your local friend kind of take the lead and forgot, oops, now you're alone in a foreign country and you have no money on you. So you scurry back to a hotel, panic that you've bungled your entire trip from the first step outside and can't even make it to the gate. But then you find an ATM and discover it, oh no, doesn't take your debit card. So you toss $20 in this weird currency exchange machine, hoping it will come through for you. And it does gives you cash for all of your monorail tickets for the week, and in a small miracle, enough spare coins that you end up using it for bottles of vending machine tea in the parks when your lack of caffeine headache persists, and a 100 yen coin that you use to press a tiny little penny medallion with Shelly Mae's face on it that you will probably carry around in your wallet for the rest of your life. See, who needs to plan when magic like this is sitting right there? I mean, I'm, I'm kidding. You need to plan. Don't heed that advice, because I have been here multiple times, so save for the odd gaff, like, actually entering the park, as mentioned, I felt pretty comfortable winging it. But a lot of that sweating through my shirt could have been easily avoided by, one, my memory still being intact, woo, motherhood, or by Chris Nilgay of TDR Explorer's handy dandy guidebook. I have read earlier versions of it before, but even browsing through the newest one while in line for security gave me invaluable advice on the nuances of this resort, because there are many and they are essential. Namely, I just happened to read that he has a reminder that says, don't forget to print out your admission, which I never would have done and needed it to scan to book their version of Fast Passes. So thanks to him, my one day where I bought that ticket, I had physical tickets for the other days, that one day went flawlessly, and it's all because of that guide. So if you're planning a trip, we will mention this in our eventual guide one, but it is a must. There are a handful of official Disney hotels at Tokyo Disney Resort. That book will break them all down, and we will in the future, as well as a few third-party Tokyo Bay hotels, which I decided to stay at this visit. A few of them are right off the monorail line and extremely convenient, like a four-minute walk to the monorail. We're talking exiting the Disney World monorail at Magic Kingdom and going to, like, City Hall, barely even that far. There are even buses that operate all day and night as well to take you between the two. But if you have done a Disneyland or Disney World day ever, you will probably laugh at how simple it is to get around here. I spent three days on property at the Sheridan and the Hilton. And let me just tell you, I <laughs> I didn't arrive with two different hotel bookings. I'll save you the, as we say, mishigas of moving hotel rooms four times in three days. But here's all you essentially need to know. Both hotels are pretty good. But if you stay at the Sheridan, do not book a standard style 
room. I pause because I need you to remember this. I had absolutely no idea that the paths diverged so greatly between their offerings. My friend Heather of Dining in Disney always stays there and always books the Ocean Dream Room with this vague cruise ship theming. It's actually pretty funny. The way it's set up is so that you have an ocean view and so when you lay down in your bed, it looks kind of like you're on a cruise ship, looking out the window of the portal of a cruise ship. It's cute. But Heather had no idea, and neither did I, that the standard rooms, very similar, same hotel, same building, essentially smell like a Las Vegas casino hotel room circa 1973 whose door has not been opened in decades. I've heard a lot of people recommend the Sheridan and was flummoxed upon my room arrival. But once I Googled, I learned only Mr. Tom Bricker, big up to that guy, had written in his review about these cigarette stench-laden rooms that the Sheridan uh, definitely knows are a problem and just direct Americans to use odor spray provided by the hotel if any questions are raised. I assure you, I'm not exaggerating here. Heed my warning. Actually, the Hilton ended up being a comedy of errors also, just because I was booked within a group of Korean school children. And so when I got to my room, the bellman and I had a really good laugh about it before he demanded I move and get out of there. But let's just say uh, that TDR guide episode that we're going to eventually do will tell you more about where to stay. That said, that was mainly the only hiccup because my visit all in all was exceptional. It was also my first solo trip to Tokyo Disney Resort, which meant I was able to pay so much more attention to the beautiful and vast detail within these parks. And from the first moment that I saw a kid in the hotel lobby carrying Elena Bell, I knew I was home. I was in heaven. These were my people. I began and ended my trip at Tokyo Disneyland, arriving not quite as early as I'd hoped for. But they essentially have a long, 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 long line for security and then no wait once you actually enter the park. Because everything is pretty similar operationally to how it is at Disneyland these days, you can book return times for rides, but only once you scan into the park. I began while waiting in that line to have what I will now call the Genie Plus panics. It was about a 40 or so minute wait, so... I began to spiral out about not getting on the new Beauty and the Beast ride after coming so far. So I uh, I bought an extra park ticket for my final day while standing in the 8.15 a.m. sun just to ensure I wouldn't miss a thing. Also worth mentioning, that casual ticket purchase only cost me 60 bucks. Oh yeah, save for the flight and the actual travel, this place is really affordable. That said, credit cards are weird here. The main one I'd been using throughout Japan and even within the park for food and drink purchases was an Amex, and it would not work within the app for ticketing or add-ons. I tried a Visa I had instead, and thankfully it worked for both that ticket purchase and every in-app FastPass purchase I did, but it required a new verification code for each transaction. You could, if you had to, buy this type of stuff in person, but it would be a total pain in the butt, so if you go, just be sure to bring multiple cards just in case. The best way I can explain Tokyo's FastPass equivalent is like so. There is a paid version, there is a free version, and there is a good luck version. The paid version is called Disney Premier Access. This is essentially individual lightning lane. If you've ever paid to go on Rise of the Resistance or Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, it's essentially the same thing. There are only a couple rides and shows available through it. You pay individually for each. And this is how you pay your way to get on that Beauty and the Beast ride without waiting in line, as well as other attractions you're probably going to want to do while you're there. 
They were only about 10 to 15 bucks a pop and proves that we in the States have gotten very desensitized <laughs> to upcharges because there was pretty good availability in the morning, even when the lines were so long. And on one day when I believe the park was actually sold out. There's also, believe it or not, a version of free FastPass that still exists here. It's called the 40th Anniversary Priority Pass in honor of their anniversary celebration, and it offers a selection of rides and experiences that you can book return times for for free. I used it, it worked great, and it was immensely helpful on my visit. And then, thirdly, there is Entry Request. This replaces an earlier physical lottery you'd enter for certain shows and experiences. It works on select character experiences as well, but I used it and won access to a show that we are going to discuss later. I should mention, even though this is not a guide episode, there is one other thing, this virtual queue-like entry called standby pass for shops and restaurants when they're busy, but we're not going to get into that. We're here to have fun. We're not here to panic about a quad-tiered system for line management, so that is for future us to fret about. I did not use it while I was there. I got along with everything, but for busier times, that is something you're going to need to know about. What was so fun about visiting Disneyland Park in October, though, was not just that the weather was finally mild. Apparently, the summers are brutally humid. I had no idea until my friend told me, so I got very lucky with timing. But all month long, the park and its guests are celebrating Halloween to the max. The park was busy because of it, but with that came the added bonus of seeing guests in full-blown costumes at both parks, actually, which happens throughout the month. I saw a woman in a full bell yellow gown, full gown, watching a parade. I saw a trio in impeccable Zootopia costumes. Oh my gosh. There was one group of friends dressed in this bright, colorful take on Duffy and Friends. The one dressed as Lena Bell had the biggest, bushiest tail. Oh my gosh, I saw it in a line in front of me and just could not stop staring. And I genuinely don't know how creative some of these people are, how they made these things, how they found them. But it was such a delight because these were costumes. These were full costumes. Like there was a dude straight up dressed as Jack Skellington walking around the park. And I kept accidentally making eye contact with him because I'm like, is that Jack Skellington? Oh, it's just a patron. And then I once did that while he was just eating a churro and walking around. <laughs> and I felt bad staring at him. But it was so fun to see. It was such a delight to see people dressed up, eating snacks, having a good time. Once I got into the park, I booked my return times for a few rides and then walked around trying to decide if I needed a snack or an experience first. I was so happy to be there. I just couldn't decide. The thing is, the lines were already so long for everything. Lines for snack carts intertwined with dining locations. There were lines for churros and popcorn that early in the morning. Even the food stall in Toontown, which I thought might not be busy yet, was so jammed. So I chomped on a granola bar from my bag and got in line for Minnie's Style Studio. This new character meet and greet debuted during the pandemic and sees Minnie holding court as a fashion designer in a bubbly cute little house that culminates in a meet and greet. From what I understand, her outfit and backdrop location changed throughout, but the one I got was France and she was in a cute little fall outfit with a beret and a scarf and it was super, super cute. Oh, also, there is a rule at Tokyo Disney Resort that you really only get one picture per party at these character meet and greets. And in previous visits, I had seen that hold true. I mean, this sign was even up in this new location at Mini Style Studio. But on this visit, I noticed whenever I met a character, the employees who were working, the cast members, would take so many photos for me. There was really only one posed moment, but I would open my phone to about 20 photos from my visit. So even though it says one photo per party, you will be pleasantly surprised if and when they likely take more. Next, 
I went on, okay, we got to talk about this. I went on Splash Mountain, which obviously I am not a fan of the content of. I am so glad this ride is uh, gone and being redone in America. I'm horrified about the ties of this narrative to Song of the South. But I did go on because I'd heard two interesting things specific to this resort, and I really wanted to check them out. One, I heard that they don't actually splash you. The splashing is dialed down and is not is more of just like a, like a little bit, like a little bit of water. And two, I heard that the audio animatronics were in shockingly great shape. And yeah, both things were absolutely true. There was really no big splash, just a little a little spritz, which frankly, I kind of wish more of our water rides had. Yes, sometimes it's super hot in Florida and California and you want to be doused, but other times it's nice when it's dialed down. Like maybe at night they should just dial down to a little dip, little dip, little splash, possibly. And the audio animatronics, let's just say everything moved like it was new, a theme that is prevalent across Tokyo Disney Resort attractions. Is their maintenance just the best it possibly can be? Do they repair things more? Are they wired differently? Is it the electrical output? I really have no idea. But their rides are in such good shape that even the older ones stand out. A huge takeaway that you might not expect upon arrival and might be focusing on all things new, but you will definitely remember upon your departure. I bought a premier access pass for the new-ish Happy Ride with Baymax, which is kind of similar to Alien Swirling Saucers or Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, but so much more joyful. Charlie Watanabe, who you may remember from our Duffy and Friends episodes and the D23 Expo panel, and who I actually met up with while I was in the parks, a little pod reunion in Japan, worked on the lyrics of the original songs featured in the ride, which are so up-tempo and fun, but more importantly, apparently so popular with fans that they now have fan-generated dances. Charlie told me this unbelievable tidbit before I went, and I was like, cool, I guess I believe you, and was ultimately floored when from my ride vehicle, I saw people in the queue doing the movements he told me about. The ride operators are also essentially fist bumping their way through each ride cycle, which gives it this fun, almost joyful party vibe. It really extends throughout just the ride experience, and I loved that. After here, I headed to Space Mountain, and I will be real with you. I completely forgot they're redoing Space Mountain. <laughs> just just completely forgot they're fully gutting it and rebuilding it behind the original building. The new one arrives in 2027, and I gotta tell you, it's a shame because it is so good here. I know this is a theme. This is just everything's good, but it's all pretty good. Like, it's the only ride there that I did twice. It's essentially the Disneyland model of Space Mountain, but I swear it's longer. And I swear it's not as rickety. Like, you go to France and their rides are more rickety. I can't even go on a roller coaster at Disneyland Paris. But here, less rickety. It felt like a dream to me. I'm sure whatever they build will be phenomenal, but oh man, I'm gonna miss this one. I should add, it was around this time of day that I got big hungry, like really, really hungry. I ate every emergency granola bar in my bag, which I always pack for an international theme park. Never forget, uh, I need visit to Disneyland Paris. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Always hungry. Always getting in a fight with my family. I ate a beef stick as I walked onto this ride, and I was so famished by midday that I ended up eating an entire bag of pasta snacks that was definitely only being sold as a take-home souvenir. They are I think they're pasta or chippies shaped like pasta so that you'd think it's possible you're eating a chip. I genuinely, I don't know. They're probably just seasoned dried bits of pasta. But I simply was not willing to wait 40 minutes at the Baymax popcorn shop when there were rides to ride. And I had a big one on deck. So I chugged some crispy little crumbs and I headed on Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast. First things first. We are going to do no ride spoilers for this new Fantasyland attraction, which you have probably heard about. I went in without 
knowing anything, really, which was shocking and phenomenal. And I want to try to preserve that for other people, if at all possible. But I will be discussing the exteriors because, you know, you can see them from the walking path and because I have to talk about something. And oh, my Lord, the facade of this castle, it took me out. It took me out. This isn't some like, ooh, building on a hill nonsense. Like, oh, it's up there. You can't really see it. No, this is a full castle. There's a waterfall. There's the castle. There's a bridge. There's this little backdrop to the right side. It looks like watercolors in the distance. Like it is full on castle. You see the whole castle. And then before you enter the proper proper queue, you come through the outer gates into a courtyard, which I did not expect. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. I just stood there. I got on the line to stand there and go, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is stunning. I won't and can't tell you anything else about the ride other than the ride system was phenomenal. But I do want to add that I was previously told on other trips and experienced that culturally no one really takes photos on rides. Like it's pretty passe to do so. But this ride is so good that I think that ship has sailed because almost everyone in the ride vehicles was filming. Almost everyone was filming because it was hard not to. And like other rides here, I was struck by how long it was. A real hearty experience and so enjoyable. I have minor critiques, but um, you'll never hear them until I do my full guide. <laughs> so alas, that's that's all we're going to discuss. After I had this revelatory experience, I met up with my friend Rachel, who I was visiting, who showed me the interiors of the shop she designed in Fantasyland. No big deal, just my one demand for visiting her. And it came true. Wow, wow, wow. And then we went to the Queen of Hearts Banquet Hall for lunch. This banquet hall, this little buffet, I think they call it a the a mix between a buffet and a cafeteria, but I don't know how to say it out loud. Buffeteria, 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 it's got buffeteria. Anyway, all you need to know is that buffeteria, it was so beautiful. It is definitely an older building. It's not new by any means, but it hit my sweet spot of design. Just all in and colorful in theme and done floor to ceiling. Look up some photos online. It's absolutely stunning. The food portions here are smaller than my Midwestern appetite calls for. But thankfully, I got an extra side of rice with my salmon entree, which came with one sprig of broccoli. I was dying for vegetables by the end of my trip and bought (laughs) green juice upon my return home in a full state of jet lag. But I went big at lunch because I was hungry and also opted for these little little flavor packets. They were about a buck each and they were called make a change, which is so funny to me. Like, don't like what we're serving? Don't like the seafood cream sauce your meal came with? Switch it up, baby! I bought both of them. I have only seen two during my visit. Uh, I'd make more fun of them, truly, but they were so good. These sauce facets were so good that I wanted to bring them home. I got both a spicy harissa and a black mala chili sauce, which was so legitimately spicy, so delicious, but they were such a fun surprise and very, very yummy. After finally inhaling food and getting an iced coffee with my meal, what a treat. They don't have Diet Coke, which is my preferred sit-down meal beverage of choice in a Disney park like many of you, but iced coffee came standard on the menu, which was a glorious surprise. I went to Country Bear Theater. Last time I was here, they were doing actually this special Christmas-themed show, which was wild, absolutely wild. If you can find a video of that online, definitely check it out. But I really, again, just wanted to compare how the AAs here in Disney World are, since I had just done this attraction in Disney World. And once again, whoo, wow. When I was at Disney World, you could hear the clickety-clack of machinery of those three mounted animals, um, Melvin, Max, and Buff, I believe. And it was so loud that it was distracting. But here, everything was smooth as butter. Every single figure was just so good. It was so good. It was so good. 
From there, I got my first of many black pepper popcorn cartons, which quickly and unexpectedly emerged as my favorite flavor. Also, uh, hold on to your butts because popcorn is $2.68. Oh my gosh, I want to scream. And I got in line for Peter Pan. And then the highs and lows, my phone broke. Uh, yeah, my phone fully stopped working while I was in Tokyo. Uh, it's bad. It's bad when your connection to payments and plans and your friend you're visiting and everything else is just inaccessible and nobody knows. To this day, I still have no idea what happened to my phone. I wound up wiping and resetting my entire phone that night, which kind of fixed it. I'm pretty sure it's because there was too much cell activity nearby because everyone was waiting for the Halloween parade. And that happened at the same time that, okay, I admit, took too many photos, overloaded my phone and just freaked out and wouldn't work. Work. But it's a shame because I now have no footage of and, and have no memory of the Halloween parade because the choreography was banging. I didn't even get to go on Peter Pan because I had to figure this out. I got to watch the whole thing on YouTube. It looked so good. Uh, but my phone debacle took me out. Sidebar, shout out to the kind Scottish, I believe, woman waiting in line for Monsters, Inc. Ride and Go Seek, who was in front of me, who saw me in distress and let me hop on her Wi-Fi device so I could send SOS texts. You were the highlight of a ride that I remembered as being way better than it actually was. I know. I remember loving this and waited a hard 80 minutes for it. But on it, basically, you take a flashlight, you hit different M symbols throughout the ride, but it wasn't as fun as I recalled. It was still a good time, but not to the level of Pooh's Honey Hunt, which I remembered correctly. More on that soon. From there, I began to fulfill my other priority of the trip, shopping. And sadly, sadly, to much of my surprise, this was actually the only real letdown of the trip, which I will tell you about after this break. <laughs> Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince, but no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses, and the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym, like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their ultra form bike shorts and high rise pocket leggings. And when I tell you the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for, which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey. And here, 
the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. not really finding souvenirs in the land of souvenirs, I think I have a hunch as to what happened because it actually happened the last time I visited this resort. I think that I came towards the end of the season, in this case, the 40th anniversary celebration, and all of the good stuff was sold out, but the next season merchandise hadn't yet dropped. In preparing for this episode, I went on US Shopping SOS, that resale website that I've used before to buy gelatonian toffee purses, whatever, I'll own it, I have no shame. (laughs) I bought them, I had them shipped all the way from overseas, and I adore them, whatever. But they listed some unbelievable merchandise coming out at the end of October and at the start of November for the holiday season. They have this wintertime Duffy sweater, like a beige knit sweater where he's on the knit sweater wearing a winter hat that drops on November 1st. <sighs> they also have a pair of these Duffy and Gelatoni wearing traditional Japanese clothing. I don't even want to call them a plush. They're like collector's items. Brr! I know I'm going to have to order this and it's so overpriced and to get it shipped is a whole pain in the butt. But ugh, I just, I didn't even buy anything special Duffy and friends. It's, it's sad. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Okay, I have to get, I have to get off that website. It's like still open on my screen. But I will be grateful for the one very good piece of merch I did get, which is a thick white t-shirt. I'm talking like a thick, like a really high quality tea, like the type of thing made in the early 2000s that they just don't make anymore with an embossed 3D Mickey waffle. And all it says on it underneath is Mickey waffle. Photo of Mickey waffle says Mickey waffle. Bing, bing, boom. It looks like some sort of weird Zara t-shirt reject. And I absolutely adore it. Uh, Do they have a knit version of it coming next week? They do. Am I going to buy it? Perhaps. But I guess if I cave and splurge as a sort of holiday gifty to myself, it's fine. So be it. Why not? I saw some funny stuff I didn't buy while I was shopping in the stores. They had these full, <laughs> these full glossy headshots of Mickey. Like he was some sort of calendar centerfold. And there's one where he's fully on his stomach. So imagine laying on his tummy, doing the splits with his autograph in the corner. It is remarkable. I maybe should have bought it, but it was about 20 bucks. and I didn't want to waste money. They also had country bear themed chopsticks. I bought a wooden pair of Tokyo Disneyland ones since I actually eat most of my meals with chopsticks, but the country bears ones were made from plastic and I try not to try not to use plastics as much as possible. They had an earwax cleaner with a little green alien on it. I didn't know what it was and I showed it to my friend who lives there and she's like, duh, an earwax cleaner. Had no idea that was an object. And a very tempting refillable Mickey waffle shaped hand sanitizer bottle. After browsing for a bit, I decided to forego the electrical parade and the reserved seating section that I paid for for one reason. 
so that I could get a Mickey waffle, a choice that I fully stand behind. It took about 30 to 40 minutes for the seasonal, I believe it was chestnut waffle, and it was perfect. Their waffles, shocker, are perfect. I caught a glimpse of the parade, and I've always wanted to watch it, but if there's a theme when it comes to this trip, it's that you can't do it all and just be happy for what you can do. I'm so grateful to even have been able to come here. So if I miss a parade, if I miss a ride, so be it. I would rather focus on what I can do and everything I did, I essentially enjoyed. After dinner, the Adventureland side of the park was empty. So I easily hopped on a nighttime ride of Jungle Cruise. I gotta tell you, I have no idea what the skipper was saying, but the nighttime version infused the goofy comedy of it all into the actual experience, which was wonderful with a language barrier. It had colorful lighting. In the Savannah scene, they played audio from The Lion King. It was fun. It wasn't on my initial must-ride list when I entered, but I'm really glad I did it. I spent the rest of the night bopping around, shopping around, but on my final day when I came back to Tokyo Disneyland, I basically knocked out everything else I hadn't done yet, namely Pooh's Honey Hunt. I've been on this ride before, but the park was sold out that day, so I couldn't get a 40th priority pass fast pass thingy before my flight out, and I decided to just wait in the 80-minute line. I wanted to ride it, it was my top priority, and I did it. I couldn't really remember if it was overhyped or if I really loved it the last time I was here, but it is as good as everyone says it is. It is as good as I remembered. (laughs) Wow. I don't want to spoil it, even though it is old at this point. It's a shocking 23 years old. (laughs) Like, if someone was born at the same time, they could legally drink for multiple years now. But it essentially pioneered trackless ride vehicles at Disney parks. And now that I rode it after having been on Rise of the Resistance many times, having been on Ratatouille Ride in multiple countries, having been on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, really experiencing the American version of trackless vehicles, I remain blown away by this attraction. It is an exceptional use of the technology and such a blissfully fun ride. And really on this one, you do not anticipate where your vehicle is going. And that adds so much to the chaotic joy of it. I love it. I am so glad I did not leave without doing it again. It's just, it's just one of the many times that you look around while at this resort and think about how perfect it is. I know it's so far away. I know this is all anyone comes back from Tokyo saying, I know it's expensive to get here. Not as much when you're on property though. I'll give you that. But If you consider breaking down the price of a Disney World trip compared to here, it might be doable, especially with lower cost airlines popping up. And you very well may be able to enjoy it more. Once I finished Pooh's Honey Hunt and was in a phenomenal mood, I had a dire choice to make. I had one hour until my Space Mountain Fast Pass expired. Should I try to ride another ride? Or do I make a smash and grab dash to the front of the park to try and get the infamous Baymax Curry. It was 10.25, the coffee shop it opened that sells it is open at 10.30. There was this tiny window. There was no reservations online, but I figured, you know what? We'll see what we can do. It can't hurt to try. If we don't get it, we don't get it. But if we do, what a joy. And to my utter surprise, they sat me at a table almost immediately. And I was able to eat a bowl of it before boarding Space Mountain with two minutes to spare. If you have not seen the Baymax curry, it is essentially a bowl filled with two kinds of brownish curry. One has chicken in it and one has beef in it. And then sitting in the middle of the bowl of curry is rice shaped like Baymax. A big amount of rice with a little head, little arms, and his little black eyes. I avoided this before because I thought it was going to be a trap. I thought it was going to be one of those Instagram foods that's not actually good and couldn't fathom that it would be delicious. But it was! It was! Japanese curry is so good and this was fantastic! I am so glad I had a mountain of curry for breakfast because it was it was really 
what I needed in that moment before I headed home. I went on It's a Small World afterwards, didn't make it on Peter Pan as planned, and got a couple popcorns for the road. All in all, a successful Disneyland trip. My trip to Disney Sea, though. Oh, okay. If I thought Disneyland was great, and again, I've been here before, but never has there been a theme park more layered, more visually intriguing, more absolutely show-stopping than Tokyo Disney Sea. Everything you've heard is correct and more. Here, you will move from a Venetian canal to an erupting volcano to the streets of New York City to an indoor mermaid enclave to Cape Cod to Cape Cod to Cape Cod. Yes, there are so many lands keeping in their aquatic sea theme. Get it? I'm a sin of land. But most importantly, these parks are beyond beautiful. I spent most of my day walking around alone, just saying, it's so, it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful to nobody, to myself, <laughs> just exclaiming to myself about how beautiful it was. It is the highest pinnacle of thematic design. It is heaven. It is just heaven if you are into this stuff, if you are listening to this podcast at all. And I am so glad I could spend a day luxuriating in it because being there really renewed for me why I love to do this job. I could write about hotels or do a, I don't know, a travel podcast on different cities or things like that, but nothing excites me like diving deep into a theme park. It reminded me a lot of that that feeling you get when you walk inside a theme park. For me, I mostly get that only at Epcot these days, just knowing it's special, it's different. It's essentially an entire city built for guests. There are no residents, but everyone in some way can still call it home. There's just something about these man-made spaces meticulously designed for nothing other than pure joy for all ages that I find so enthralling. And nowhere is that mindset more true than at Disney Sea. There was one moment where I saw an interesting characteristic that caught my eye and then realized it was dried lava that had flowed from the centerpiece volcano down over the other surrounding buildings. This infusion of history and stories to make a place feel authentic and real and long-lasting when it is essentially a corporation-owned day hang never ceases to amaze me. I started my day at the most essential juncture of my journey, the Duffy meet and greet. Where'd you think I was going? Somewhere else? No. At first, I thought I'd shoot for Shelly Mae instead, since I'd already done this exact meet and greet in 2019, but I couldn't resist as my leg took me, well, my legs first took me to the black pepper popcorn once again for breakfast, because the lines at seas were much more manageable, but also to the very back of the park to see my favorite fuzzy friend. It took 50 minutes all in, more than I'd traditionally ever spend waiting for a character. But even with how much I talk about Duffy, how much I love Duffy, even with this podcast, essentially becoming a Duffy and Friends mouthpiece, a true media source for these silly, somewhat regional characters, even I, even I was surprised by how excited I was. I mean, I've seen Duffy before and recently. And yet when that door whooshed open because the way they had it set up, oh my gosh, you're in a queue. Imagine you're in a queue. You're facing a wall. The door to meet Duffy was on the left. So to see Duffy, you can't see him until it is your turn. You're waiting. You're staring at this wall. You turn the corner. Boom. Duffy is there ready to hug you. It was, it was, it was really something. It was, it was a really special moment in my life. A definite highlight of the trip. From there, I rode Tower of Terror, which if you're familiar with it here, look into it online. Um, the Joe Rody lore of this attraction is amazing. And then I carved out some time to explore the American waterfront. This area not only has a full-sized ocean liner, uh-huh, housing Turtle Talk with Crush and a bar, a bar themed to Teddy Roosevelt, by the way. I know it sounds like a dream. It, it's not. It's real. It's very real and very bizarre to relay to you. But also these New York City streets that are just divine and themed from top to bottom. 
It's there that I finally, at long last, got to eat at the New York Delicatessen and ordered the whole menu. I basically ordered the whole menu. I know it's a very American move, but I was a very hungry American and actually ate most of it. So whatever. It was it was totally fine. We got to talk about the signature sandwich here, though. As the website says, New Yorkers love delicatessens like this one. But I'm pretty sure as a former New Yorker, we don't love the Mile High Deli sandwich. This is, oh my God, brace yourselves. This is a triple decker with one layer roast beef. Okay. Another layer shrimp sandwich, new to me, but sure. And the top layer, oh, you know, that old Lower East Side favorite, custard with fruit. Oh yeah, there is a creamy custard sandwich served in this stack filled with strawberries and bananas. And it is somewhat cursed, but also deeply deeply hilarious. I truly love that this place is the most Jewish location we've ever gotten at a Disney park worldwide. And yet they sell the least kosher salad I've ever heard of. Ready for these toppings? Pastrami, chicken, okay. Salmon, fine. Prosciutto, definitely not allowed. Shrimp, absolutely no. And on top of it, cheese, which you're not supposed to mix with meat. Multiple, multiple errors here. I would drag this sort of Jewish deli for serving that if I didn't also get a Reuben that you're not, you know, this cheese in me, you're not supposed to do it, but it was pretty good. It was, it was good. I ate the whole thing. It was delicious. I shopped around after, explored, got my favorite frozen treat, the sea salt ice cream manaka, which is basically a pink wafer shell with vanilla-y ice cream and the sweetest strawberry goo. Do you remember those Sunday cups when we were kids where it's vanilla ice cream with the strawberry sundae stripes down the side? It was that on another level. It's so delicious. I'd wanted it for so long. I missed it on the last trip because the stand had closed. And I ate two of them. Whatever. I was on vacation. I was living my best life and I needed to get food. So ice cream is protein, right? Kind of? Sure. <laughs> if my day seemed a bit aimless, it's just because I had free time before my ultimate destination. Big band beat. If you've heard of this show, you know it's a doozy, but there are no cameras allowed. So what happens inside is pretty secretive, strangely. It's essentially a review-style show starring Mickey and Minnie Mouse and the whole gang, really. But in it, you will see wonders of the world, including Mickey tap dancing, Minnie doing some serious choreography in her heels, Mickey playing piano, Goofy is the proprietor of a club uptown, and most importantly, the most revolutionary thing you can see at this theme park resort, bar none, is Mickey Mouse absolutely wailing on the drum kit. This dude shreds in a way that I cannot even explain. It is jaw-dropping. I'd seen it before. I was wowed. I went back and I was wowed again. I had one day here and I planned it around this show. Now, this show is the one that I won the lottery for that I mentioned earlier. I didn't win it on my last trip. I won it this time. Felt like a hero. It was heavenly and an absolute cannot miss showstopper. If you just heard a little metal noise like this, it's because I'm talking with my hands big time because I'm so excited about this show and I smacked my jewelry into my other jewelry. Oh, the perils of podcasting. Everything after this was essentially downhill from here, but it's still great. I rode Indiana Jones, sat next to a dude from Burbank, surprise, uh, got my second little ice cream sandwich, gave my mom a little FaceTime tour of the park, and then I rode Journey to the Center of the Earth. This is kind of the namesake attraction here simply because of its location. It's right in the middle of the park and the mysterious island innards of the volcano. But 
It's essentially a wholly original ride that takes you deep into the Earth's core to discover what lies below and things are different than you'd expect. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say because I'm not going to ruin it for you. After that, I finally got my hot little hands on some garlic shrimp popcorn, delicious, some matcha white chocolate popcorn, not my favorite, but still good, indulged in a beer, ooh, ladies night out, with a view of the waterfront in the center of the park, and then I rode Sinbad's storybook voyage. Now, Sinbad's is not supposed to be a blow-your-mind kind of ride. It's essentially a dark ride built to the scale of It's a Small World. Big show building, boat vehicles, slow-paced, zillions of animatronics. But never has an attraction felt more like a blank check was written, handshakes were exchanged, and money was spent. Spent. This thing is riddled with tiny figures. And halfway through, out of basically nowhere, you'll see the biggest audio animatronic you have ever seen in your entire life. Like two stories high, like 25 feet high. I don't even know. It's so big. It has to be seen to be believed. Watch this on YouTube. I swear it is the biggest animatronic you have ever seen. Oh, and there's a song that's very catchy that was written by Alan Menken that's only a little bit in English. It's mostly in Japanese because originally, apparently the ride was scary and they redid it to make it less scary because it was frightening children. And they added a song that is now like sweet and lovely and beautiful. There are, I cannot explain this to you. There are full scenes that you're like, this is in here still. They spent all the money on this scene. We don't even need this scene. We still have this weird scene with the monkeys and they didn't cut it. They left it in. And that's the best part of it. You will be like, I'm still on this ride. It's so long. And they just went completely 100% with it. And that is truly what I love about Tokyo Disney Resort. It's how I feel about it as a whole. It is done to the extremes. It is done brilliantly well and just causes surprise and delight everywhere you turn. If you have any questions about visiting TDR, please let me know. Call into the Churros hotline. I will take any excuse to talk about these beautiful, blissful parks any, anytime. And if you want to read more about these parks and the people who visit there and more about its place within Japanese culture, I reported a story about it for Bloomberg, I believe in 2022, might have been 2021. I will leave a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. You might have to pay 99 cents to read it. Uh, I don't I, I don't have a free link either. I don't know. I don't know how to get to it, but I will leave a link for you and I hope you enjoy. <sighs> Gotta love Tokyo. Hi, Carly. I have kind of a random question. I was looking back in the very amusing archives for episodes from when Galaxy's Edge first opened, when uh, people are first seeing things uh, for the first time, what your first takes were, people you might have interviewed. And for some reason, I could not find episodes old enough to find those things. And uh, this may be a false memory, but it seems like very amusing just as pre-COVID. So I don't know. I was, anyway, the reason I'm looking for that stuff is um, I'm actually a cast member uh, in Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland now. Um, I have been for a couple months now, and I was very curious to listen back to some of those things, those first impressions and how things worked, et cetera, just to compare notes to what I've learned so far and things to look for that I may not have caught on to yet. Um, so anyway, I don't know if it's possible to find those or where to find them or where to look. Help. Thank you so much, Carly. I love everything you do. You're amazing. Thanks. Bye. 
Hi. Oh my gosh. Congratulations on working at Galaxy's Edge. How fun. I'm so excited for you. And I, ooh, I have like a little bit of bad news because I really want to fulfill this wish for you. Also, thank you for the, the kind words. I am so flattered. I Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Okay. I got to get my words out. So uh, I don't want to disappoint you, but Unfortunately, the opening of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and again, remember that the opening of the Galaxy's Edge was like a multi, I think a multi-year, multi-event rollout. Like it opened for me probably five times, but the opening of the land and especially the previews that I attended before the land had officially had details announced, that all predates the podcast, all of that early, early stuff. I did a lot of written stories after my first hard hat tour preview of the land, but in looking for those, those are also tricky to find because sometimes this type of thing happens. Like sometimes they can disappear. Websites can do this thing where, how do I make this not sound boring? So they repurpose the URLs of some of my older stories for newer stories. So if the slug, which is everything that comes after the .com, so if the slug is like travelleisure.com slash Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, it's likely they're going to use that URL to rerun a different, newer, more newsworthy story and then poof, mine disappears. It's fine. It happens from time to time. The paycheck still clears. The story came out at the right time. It's okay. I'm used to it. It's normal. But because of that, it's a little hard for me to send you everything I did at the time and really uh, fulfill your ask. I, I, sorry to give you a peek behind the curtain of how editorial works. <laughs> That's why I love a podcast. Much different and I'm in charge. Um, I did find one that I wrote for Travel and Leisure that is accessible through Yahoo. I'll put that in the show notes. But at the time, I went on other people's podcasts like The Diz Unplugged and I went on a few others and blanking out at the time and I talked about it there. So um, I think that, let me see what that date was. Okay, it was March 5th, 2019. I will put a link to it in the show notes, but please be warned that I am very unhappy with the background I set myself up against. I have pale skin. I'm uh, against a backdrop of a white wall. It's not a good look. Uh, so just know that going in. I think I also went on, I feel like I might've gone on podcast The Ride. I think I went on Len Testa's podcast. I'm blanking on what else, but I do have the link for that one. And so I will include that. As for the actual opening of the land, I looked into it and I realized my coverage is not going to be fun to read because all of it was overshadowed by all of the reservation systems. It was really focused on how difficult it was to get into that land at first and really helping people in terms of like service, trying to get them in and get them all the details they needed to know for the reservations and the yada, yada, yada. So that kind of overshadowed a lot of the fun operations and early details, unfortunately. But I have two things for you if you haven't listened to them already. I think you might really enjoy the How Things Work Star Wars Galaxy's Edge episode, which is towards the beginning of our series. It ran on October 28th, 2020 with Scott Trowbridge, as well as the Creatures, Codenames, and Concept Art of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is also with Scott and my colleague Amy Ratcliffe that ran on May 5th, 2021. I say that because usually when you interview Imagineers or anybody when you're media and you're interviewing, they're not allowed to talk freely, but Scott Trowbridge <laughs> is allowed to say whatever he wants. So the podcast is usually fun because you can have a full-blown conversation with someone and actually get information, information you may not have gleaned otherwise, that because he's in charge, he has both the authority and the knowledge to just say whatever he wants to share. So I highly recommend those two episodes. A sidebar on that, though, I am actually in the process of updating all of the episodes. Um, long story short, when we moved podcast providers, there's it didn't switch over as seamlessly as we expected. And now there's like uh, 4,000 ad breaks on the earlier episodes. I'm trying. I have to go individually one by one and work it out. It's a long process. I've done it for a few episodes. I'm getting through it. But in updating it, 
I am changing some of the episode titles. So the name of those two episodes may change, but the date will be the same. Just scroll all the way back and the Star Wars ones are what you're looking for. Uh, I hope that answers your question a little and I don't know, I have so much fun at work. What a dream to go there every day. How cool. How cool. Thanks for calling. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. so much for listening. You can rate, review, and follow Very Amusing on Apple Podcasts or rate and follow us on Spotify. Again, it makes a, makes a big difference. I personally can't get the podcast app to work on my computer. Haven't been able to for years. Pretty ironic. Don't know why. But I listen to podcasts on Spotify. I listen to them on Apple. And if you listen to us on those platforms, just let people know. It helps. It all helps. Uh, you can give us a call at 747-CHUROS or send us a voice note or email it to 747-CHUROS at gmail.com. The text functionality on it is just like a real phone, even though it's a real churros hotline. So just hit us up uh, with anything. And also giving a call in for your questions is the fastest way to get it answered. Uh, but also you can text them and we'll also answer it. Really, just uh, just send it my way and I'll, I'll get back to you. We have Very Amusing Merchandise at very-amusing.com. And you can follow me at Carly Wiesel on all the places you can follow someone at Carly Wiesel. I don't know about the new Twitter alternatives. I've heard of them. I think that there's one that's like Blue Sky and there's one that's like, it starts with a D. I don't remember the name, but I'm on all the old school main ones. <laughs> Let's just say that. You can also join the Fomaly at facebook.com slash group slash Carly Wiesel. It's a good time. It's a good time, y'all. If you're not on the Fomaly, you're missing out. This episode was edited divinely by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hi, honey. It's mom. I am so excited you're back and you went to Tokyo and you had a wonderful time and everybody missed you. And I'm so happy you're back on the podcast. Great episode. I love you so much. You are so unbelievable. How you manage everything is beyond me, but I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much, and I love you, Pearl. See you soon.